Father God, what an amazing book. The book of Acts shows us the power of the Holy Spirit and what started with 120 believers in the upper room. In 30 years and under, the gospel is all over the Roman Empire. And we get to see that and learn today how, God, there is no counsel, no, no plan, no strategy that can prevail against the, the Lord. And we're thankful for that truth because that involves us too, God, is that you are for us, not against us. And Lord, uh, you have put your truth to triumph in us, God, and you have um, given us a great commission to reach out to the world that's lost and dying with light because your heart is this, that you love everybody and you want them to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Help us to do our part in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of our favorite verses in the Bible, everybody. So well loved and well quoted. Uh, Romans 8.28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. Now this is a very comforting verse because it doesn't always look like everything is working out for our good, uh, especially when something devastating happens. So it comforts our hearts to know that we have a God in heaven who can make everything, even the hardship, turn out for our good and God's good plan. Uh, Take, for example, Paul the Apostle's recent misfortunes, which began in chapter 21, when he was unjustly arrested there in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel, and then incarcerated for two years and three criminal investigations. And then uh, Paul had to appeal his case to the Supreme Court there in Rome. So they put him on a boat, shipped him off onto the Mediterranean Sea to go to Italy to stand trial there before Nero. So it's hard to understand why the Lord would allow his ship to get caught in a killer storm and wind up shipwrecking. Uh, The vessel was pounded by that surf and and, and broke into pieces and all. Paul and all aboard had to jump overboard into the sea. They were floating on planks and pieces of the ship uh, as the waves washed them up onto the shores of uh, Malta there. It's hard to see the bright side of a shipwreck. Isn't it? Well, unless, of course, you're one of those many islanders who are now in heaven as we speak, instead of in outer darkness and having died in their sins on that island. Thanks to what? Thanks to a forced layover, if you will, a shipwreck that brought the greatest evangelist the world has ever known to their little island so that he could share the gospel with them because God so loved them. He loves the world and he made sure. Now, you know, sometimes we can't make sense of how how is God using this shipwreck? Because we're thinking, how is this good for me? When we forget about how it's good for the islanders around us and the work he's doing in those all about us who need him. That's what we forget, and that's why we can't see it. Uh, yeah, so 
For believers, this storm in every storm, as we've been seeing, always has a silver lining. And that which is meant for evil, just know this in your own heart and life. God will repurpose it for good. Okay, so we're on Malta now. And it's the final chapter here, chapter 28. Uh, They've been having, really, a delightful time. Actually, it's turned out. Uh, For the stranded uh, crew and passengers and our three missionaries, Paul the Apostle, as a prisoner, he is a citizen of Rome. He's allowed to have two attendants with him, so he chose Dr. Luke and a great brother in the Lord, Aristarchus, and they are the three missionaries on board uh, with 276 uh, there, and also uh, now an island of people who are bringing their sick Uh, and having Paul lay hands on them and preach the gospel of their believing and they are being healed in their bodies and saved in their souls. And so uh, the Lord is blessing them and Paul is emerging as a a leader there, though he's in chains sometimes and uh, he's a real hero. And so uh, there they are. They're having a good time on the island And uh, when we left off last, it was uh, time to uh, set sail and resume uh, their journey to Rome. And we're about to see how they do that. So their time on Malta has been blessed. But, verse 11, after three months, we put out to sea again in a ship that just happened to be there, wintered at the island. It was an Alexandrian ship like the first ship that shipwrecked was also Egyptian, with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. So we put in at Syracuse, that was the ancient capital of Sicily, and then stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. Uh, Now, that's the tip of the boot of Italy. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli, Puzeoli in modern-day terms there. Uh, So there we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. I'll explain how a prisoner gets to to go off for a week on his own to Calvary Chapel, Puteoli. Uh, and, And so we came to Rome. Wow, that's a big statement because God's promises have come to pass. Uh, Next paragraph says, the brothers there, Puteoli, had heard that we were coming and they, oh, my bad, the brothers in Rome heard from Puteoli that Paul was coming and they traveled from Rome, these Roman Christians, came down to meet Paul and as far as the stopping point called Forum of Appius and the three taverns on that beautiful Roman highway. Uh, to meet us, Luke is writing, at the sight of these brothers uh, lining the streets there, Paul thanks God and was encouraged in his heart. Can you imagine? When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. He had a personal bodyguard. That's how God saw it. They saw that they were guarding him. In keeping him in, but you know the truth be told, uh, he had a uh, the secret service there helping him out. So uh, we'll go back to the opening verses there. And uh, Rome word bound, 
okay? Instead of homeward bound, we're Romeward bound. And it is a fulfillment of God's promise. Back in chapter 23, Paul the Apostle was really fearful. He's in, <laughs> kept in prison, uh, awaiting trial and all kinds of problems. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not be afraid. Stop being fearful. Uh, you will be my witness before Nero. I am sending you to testify the gospel of God's grace all the way to Rome. So don't be afraid. You're going to make it there. And make it there he did. And so, yeah. Um, and talk about Romans 8.28. Because of Paul's arrest uh, and then his appeal to the Supreme Court, it will put him and the gospel right in front of Nero's nose, right there. And uh, that's exactly what he wants because God just doesn't love nice people and ordinary people and victimized people and the poor. He loves those who victimize. He loves them. He doesn't love what they do. But our God, he wants, quote, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, our God, our Savior, loves all people. And wants them to all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And Nero fits under the category of all people. So do most people. Amen. Amen. So just so happens, verse 11, whoa, how are we going to get off the island? Oh, no. You know, we got to get to Rome. How's God going to work this out? Well, God's already gone before all of us in the story, and he's arranged it all beforehand. So there just happens to be a, a same similar vessel that had parked, docked there at Malta more wisely than the captain of the last freighter who, who for the love of money and because they didn't like the port they were in and, and scholars told us that the port they wanted to go to and risk their lives for was known for more immorality, the dancing girls and the big bars and the beer. And so the guys didn't want to winter in fair havens, no, even though they knew it was against all common sense and wisdom to take that ship out again. They took it out and nearly cost 276 lives because of me, what me wants, me gets, you know, and me don't care about how it affects you. Amen? You know, the me monster. Watch out for the me monster. Uh, just awful. And so they've been on... Uh, this ship has been sitting there for three months, and uh, now it's February. They wrecked in October because we were told it was during uh, Yom Kippur. So we know that it was early October, so three months have passed. Now the ship that was smart uh, is there getting ready to go of all places. Where is this ship going? To Rome, of course. Why? Because God's got it all planned out. He wants us to rest and relax and say, it's all going to work out. I've had lots of time to think about this. And I planned it all out for you. There's the ship. And so now after three months, those who were stranded by the shipwreck have a ticket off the island. And so verse 11, they put off to sea. And I love what last time we, we saw, it was very heartwarming, that the islanders, many of them who are now brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, 
in love and gratitude for their newfound friends and their disciples, uh, Luke and Paul and Aristarchus, they furnished them with everything they needed for the last leg of the trip to Rome. Foodstuffs, bedrolls, warm clothing, and money. Practical necessities for that last leg of the trip. Uh, one writer said this, generous hearts are the means by which our generous God does his benevolent work. And so God was supplying his needs, as Paul said, he always does, he always will. My God will supply your need according to his riches and glory in Christ our Lord. So anchors away, we're off, from Malta uh, Italy is only a couple sailing days away. And uh, the description of the boat adds just that touch of eyewitness. Eyewitness right there. And very telling of the culture of the day. The, the ship carved figureheads there. Uh, the images of Castor and Pollux. Uh, they are the uh, patron saints, the Roman uh, gods, of uh, the patron saints of sailors. Right, and they are known as the twin incestuous sons of the make-believe god Zeus. So that's who's guarding their souls as they go out onto sea. Here's what one writer said. In Roman society, one could find valiant souls, brilliant minds, admirable forms of ingenuity, but spiritually speaking, they were content to live under oppressive superstition and immoral deities, fairy tales of their own making. And why? Because Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, men are going to have uh, a form of religion. They will have the form of being spiritual without the power to transform themselves, morally speaking. So... They'll, they, 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 here's what they want. They want to worship, but they want to retain their, their darling sins. So they want a little bit of having their cake and eating it too. And the best way to do that was to invent gods who were just as immoral as they. And so that's Castor and Pollux really messed up twin sons of a make-believe God. And so you know this, and writers pointed it out, that some of those 276, many of them, walked by those figureheads and rolled their eyes in disgust and just thought, you know what? After the four months of hearing the gospel, seeing the power of God manifest through Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, and healing miracles, the word of life, the shipwreck, the ship, the snake bite, all of that, man, now they put their hope in the living God. Psalm 146 says this, that it is God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it, and great is his faithfulness. And now those guys, they board the ship, they look at Castor and Pollux, and they're like, ah, no, we got a better God. Uh, thank you very much. So from uh, let's get sailing. We can see a map, and you can follow along. It's pretty obvious as I talk. Uh, from Malta, they stop at Syracuse, the capital uh, of the ancient, uh, in the ancient times, uh, of Sicily. 
So it was easy peasy. They drop uh, anchor and wait in Sicily for three days. They had some good pasta, no doubt. They got to share the Lord with Guido, you know. And <laughs> so somebody came up to me afterwards and goes, listen, I'm a Sicilian. And uh, we don't have a lot of Guidos. <laughs> but we've got a lot of Antonys. And, and you've got to say it like Antony, Antony. Right? So they were sharing. Now, I've been corrected. They were sharing the gospel with Antony. <laughs> I hope she listens to this, you know. So, yeah, um, I, I, I can imagine that seeds were sown in every port of call, of course, wherever Paul goes. He's, uh, because that's what God expects. That's what God expects of all Christians, that wherever you go in a world that's all perishing and you have the key to eternal life, God thinks that we're just casting the seed everywhere, just throwing it out there. Not our responsibility to germinate it, but it's our responsibility to broadcast it, as it were. And that's what you do with seeds. You broadcast seeds. And so uh, next stop, Regium, the tip of the boot there. And again, waiting for favorable weather because they don't have engines, right? And so, yeah. So uh, they get what they want, and just a couple days at sea, they arrive at Puteoli, Puzeoli, uh, modern-day Bay of Naples, the main port where if you had any trade to do with uh, Rome, you, that's the port that you would uh, have to access, for lack of a better word there. And there at Puteoli, go figure, Julius, who liked Paul in the beginning, and used to let him go free because he was a trustworthy man. He loves Paul now. And Julius, the centurion who guards him, knows that if it were not for Paul, he would be dead. He knows that. And so um, he lets him go. Go, go see your friends. Calvary Chapel, Puteoli. Go, go, go see them. Go, they're waiting for you. Go, 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 go. Right, why? Because <laughs> Paul spends a lot of time and trouble working on integrity. And integrity pays off. It has a payday because people trust you. You see, uh, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth and favors better than silver or gold, Proverbs 22. And so that's what's happening there. Say what you want about a man of God. Go ahead. And people do. Say what you want about the prisoner Paul. And boy, did they ever. But people who knew Paul best trusted him most, you see. So off he goes to have a great time. Can you imagine the whole fellowship group uh, there in Puteoli? Oh, my goodness. And, you know. So now the rest of the time is going to be from Puteoli up the, uh, the it's called the Appian Way. It, the, the Romans were famous for their highways and they connected, and it's one of the reasons Jesus came when he came. He waited. You know, why did Jesus pick the time that he came to come? One of the reasons is because the Romans, well, everybody's speaking Greek, one language that everybody was mandated to speak, and they had the best system of transportation. The roads were in place connecting the whole Roman Empire perfect time to bring the gospel and inject it into the feeder vein there so all the world could hear. And so, 
Yeah, uh, there we are, at, uh, and they return to the ship. I'm sure they come two hours before they needed to be there. And now they can toss their uh, seasick meds out. The Dramamine is gone. You know, they don't, and they're all so grateful. Can you imagine? I mean, it's hard when the boat is just kind of rocking, let alone a storm for a month like that, day and night. Oh, they're glad not to ever uh, see the ocean again, probably. Uh, so anyway, it's north on the Appian Way. Uh, and of course, when the Bible speaks of something, it's there. You just have to dig a little bit. I got a picture of the Appian Way. One of the, yeah. So you can go back to that picture. So that's what they have to do there. I think it's about 140 miles uh, there. And so, okay, so the next yeah, this is still there. It's still there. And uh, it widens up. When it comes into towns, it's huge. You know, maybe four or five, six times that width. Uh, but there it is. Uh, that's what they were doing. Now, here's what the Bible tells you. that Word got, gets out to Rome, Calvary Chapel Rome, as I like to joke around. From who? From the Puzioli clan, right? So they send couriers up. Paul's coming. Pastor Paul, the founding pastor of Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica. He's coming in handcuffs. The guy who wrote us that letter, the letter to the Romans several years ago, he's coming in handcuffs. Let's go out. So one delegation of guys and brothers and sisters probably included they go 40 miles. They will be met first at Forum of Appia. And then some go 30 miles, right? And they will be met second there at the taverns, the three taverns. And so let's talk about that. Just amazing. These guys, um, un unbelievable. They call it Paul's triumphal entry here. And one of the most touching verses in the Bible, verse 15, uh, that they, they're going to come and they're going to line the roads to welcome their hero in. And so uh, John Phillips, commentator, said this, no Caesar returning from a foreign war had a warmer reception on his way to Rome than this unsung Jewish missionary. He's walking in chains on his way to the imperial city to appear before Nero as heaven's ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that there at the form of Appius is just a halfway stopping point, just like we have rest areas and then little kiosks spring up, you know, for practical needs and concerns. And uh, the second delegation, of course, at three taverns was more famous for the lodging, right? And so Christians are appearing as Paul is coming in waves, in waves of encouragement that caused, and look at your text, that caused Paul to thank God for that gift because it was God who put it in the hearts of those uh, Christians who lived in Rome to come out and greet him and welcome him and encourage him. God knew Paul's heart, his burden, his weariness, and said, I've got a welcoming committee for you. And he put it on their hearts to come at their own expense. They had to, had to take time off of work. They had to spend some money. 
And uh, it wasn't easy traveling in those days. And Paul was encouraged. And so one writer said, it's important for Christians who are weary in the battle, who undergo suffering to know it's not all persecution and slander, not all shipwrecks and snake bites 24-7. Paul's ministry has changed lives and souls are being saved because of that man's ministry. It's important for Paul to see it's not just people rooting against him. Because when you have people rooting against you, that's all you tend to see. And you forget about all the streets lined up with people cheering for your success and loving and admiring you. Paul needed to see that. He needed to get adjusted. It's not all shipwrecks and snake bites. They come. And did you know this? That the Romans, if you're a prisoner, you feed yourself. You clothe yourself. You're here to be punished. You're not here to get three square meals and a gym and a sauna yeah, and a basketball court and weightlifts, uh, weightlifting. Sorry. <laughs> I, I digress as usual. Uh, no, they come with what? Raisin cakes, dates, blankets, warm clothing, and money. That's what they do. So, but most importantly, what they brought that encouraged him to no end was their bright countenance, their smiles, uh, their, their testimonies. Paul, Paul, uh, man, and they got to talk to him. He, he got to have friends around him. Paul, Paul, listen up. I was a thug. I was a murderer. And somebody shared a line from one of the letters you wrote. And it opened my eyes and God changed me. And now I'm a deacon in the church. I'm married. I'm raising a little daughter. I was a thug, a murderer, a drunk, sexually immoral. But then I read chapter 5 of your letter where it said God demonstrates his love in this that for somebody like me, a loser, that Christ would incarnate himself in human form and lay down on a cross and bleed and die and take a, a crown of thorns on his head that should have been pushed into my head. Thank you, Brother Paul, as he wept, as I'm weeping, for the goodness of God revealed through Romans chapter 5. And they were there because Romans chapter 5 changed their lives. And they weren't going to let Paul come in and be some kind of uh, rebuffed thug criminal. They said, no, that man is a good man. And they came out for him. And so, yeah, um, I would be surprised if one of the guys took him in a headlock and said in his ear, listen, Paul, a wise man once told me, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present in the future or any powers, anything else in all creation can separate you and me, bro, from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wink, wink. Right? You know how God will put a word in your mouth for somebody else. And then out of nowhere, when you're hurting, you know, that word you gave them comes booming, ringing around, and boom, 
it's like, oh, funny, God, funny. So I wouldn't doubt if that was going on there. So uh, they're all, keep pressing on, my brother, and pressing on, he does. And, and Siri says, arrived, and they're there. So after one month at sea, three months stranded on an island, and three weeks from Malta to Rome, they arrive at the capital of the world, and God's word comes to pass. He's told them, 120 people, wait until the Holy Spirit empowers you, and then you are my witnesses, and this gospel's going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And the ends of the world was Rome. Rome, the capital city of the entire world. Now the gospel laid before the most important man on the planet and all his dignitaries. And now it's going to go forth, as I called it, the feeder vein, to all the empire, just as God wanted just as God planned. There's just no stopping God. There's no stopping him. And even the devil's hindrances will work for good and will speed things along. The devil taunted people to crucify the Son of God. How did that turn out for him? Not good. (laughs) Not good at all. It disarmed him and saved us all. This is a wonderful God we serve. Win, win with him. So, um, yeah, and, and, and he's allowed light supervision. They probably only chain him when OSHA comes around or whatever. <laughs> um, seriously. Um, uh, they love him. They love him. And, and how, yeah, just, you know, he gets a personal uh, bodyguard. He, he's renting his own little house. Now, h- how did this happen? How does a prisoner come in and get his own little Italian villa uh, with a bodyguard? Well, why? Julius... The, 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 the highly decorated centurion, he's esteemed by Rome. He comes in and goes, oh my goodness, this man, this man, I would be dead. We'd all be dead if it wasn't for him. Oh my goodness, a snake bite and, and, and uh, healings on the island. And an and, uh, angel appeared to him on the boat and everything the angel told him happened. This guy, he knows the Lord. Well, let's not put him in the dungeon. <laughs> let's give him a nice little sweep with a window facing the Mediterranean, a breeze, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll give him a guard. And so, yeah, the way the guard thing, Paul wasn't chained to a guard. The guard was chained to Paul. <laughs> and so do you know how many guards you're going to see in heaven? Oh, my goodness. You're going to see a lot of them. Oh, you too? Yeah. Oh, you guarded Paul. Oh, yeah. Well, here you are, you know. They had to change shifts every four hours. He had a ministry here, just, just right there. They didn't always have him on chain, like I said. And so, yeah, there you go. How did he afford that? You know that it says that he had to rent. It's coming up a line that he had to rent. How did he do that? Calvary Chapel, Philippi. He will write them from this villa. He will write the Philippians and say, thank you for sending the money. You're the only church that supports me. You've always supported me, and the money is going to good use. That's the Philippians. 
Oh, little did they know that they were investing in the Apostle Paul like that. It's amazing. I can only imagine how Lydia, the businesswoman, who's surely behind that, and the fortune teller who had a demon cast out of her, the founding members of Calvary Chapel Philippi, (laughs) and the jailer who was involved in the earthquake and the chains came off the prisoners and he's like, what must I do to be saved? They're reaching into their wallets and they're supporting Paul and paying for that villa. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. And so, yeah, verse 17. Three days later, he settled in now. 72 hours go by. (laughs) He calls together the the Jews, the leaders of the synagogues, historians say there are 12 synagogues in Rome. He gets the contact to all of them and invite them over. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me there in Caesarea, Festus and Felix and Agrippa. They wanted to release me because I wasn't guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees objected, I was compelled to to appeal to the Supreme Court. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. I'm not here suing. Don't make the mistaken idea that I'm here and now that I was acquitted, I could bring charges. He could have appealed and then become a litigant and sued them. He said, I'm not doing that. This is the reason I've asked you to come. I want to talk to you about it's the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain They replied, we haven't received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported any of this to us. They have said nothing bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against evangelical Christianity. So we're just curious. Could you give us your views on the gospel? And Paul's like biting his lip. Mm, I think that could be arranged. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we'll go back and talk about this. Now, to the Jew first, if you're taking notes, though. You know, wherever Paul goes, he always finds Jewish people, the Jewish community first. Very smart. Well, because the gospel's Jewish, the New Testament contains 880 Old Testament quotations, which proves that the New Testament is nothing more than the blossoming of the Old Testament. That's what it is. It's a Jewish thing. Paul is Jewish. The 12 disciples were Jewish. Jesus, his human nature, he's born of a woman who was Jewish, who's in the line of the kings. She's related to King David, who's related to, to Abraham, the first Jew, called the Hebrew It's a very Jewish thing, the gospel. Jesus, fulfilling 300 Jewish prophecies, he appears in where? The promised land. He speaks Hebrew and performs jaw-dropping miracles. If anyone should become a Christian, fast and easy and happy, it's a Jew. 
but it's not that way. It's just the opposite, which makes Paul a little bit crazy. His heart is broken. He says to the Romans, about my Jewish friends and family, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the sake of my people, who God graced with the greatest of all advantages on the planet, who have fumbled the ball most miserably. Oh, oh man. So wherever he goes, he, he reaches out to them. It's so ironic to him. It's like, how is it possible that Antony, right? Antony and Guido are like, we get it. And they open their hearts and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they embrace the gospel. But the Jew who has all the advantages of anybody else on the planet is like the the... The, the, the person who grows up in a Christian home in America where there's a church on every corner, Christian-loving parents, and they shut the door, but the kid who was raised by alcoholics and drug addicts or raised in Indonesia where they burn churches down, that kid says, I want this Jesus. But Paul is not going to quit. He's going to keep going after them. So what, 72 hours pass, and he's already invited all the head rabbis and their associates to meet. So first order of business, he has to explain what's up with the guard and what's up with being handcuffed. So he has to say, look, the Jewish leaders took offense at my teaching. Though I've said nothing against the Bible, our Bible, they call it their Bible, by the way, the Tanakh in Hebrew, and done nothing against our religion or nation. He says, they keep on uh, accusing me of being a troublemaker and a heretic. And he said, but after two years and three criminal investigations, as I mentioned, Felix Festus and King Agrippa, who's Jewish, they all acquitted me. And so because my life was in jeopardy with these Jews, I had to appeal to the Supreme Court. And here I am today. And he says, listen, gentlemen, bottom line, and I love it, verse 20, he says, it's because of Israel's hope that I'm in trouble. What's Israel's hope? Israel's hope is the church's hope. Israel's hope is the gospel. It's because of the gospel. It's because I believe that God is love, and he's trying to uh, reconcile us to himself and send a savior to reconcile us to himself. That when we die, we go to heaven. And when we live, we live for God and are blessed by him. That's why I'm in trouble. The hope of Israel is nothing more than saying, I believe there's a God and a heaven and hell, a heaven to gain, a hell to avoid. This is the hope of Israel gone unrealized. This is the hope of the church that we embrace. He says, I live for this, I die for this, I teach this, and this is why I'm in trouble. Now, the rabbis uh, from Rome's response is, I love, if you can see it there, um, yeah. We haven't heard a peep from Jerusalem about you. Bad things? No, we didn't know. We don't know anything. Well, how interesting. What, what happened there? Why no preemptive strike? Why, why didn't they want to poison their minds before Paul even had a chance to get there and open up his mouth? Why would you risk 12 synagogues in Rome and, and risk that Paul, the apostle who's turned the world upside down, might get a hold of them. Here's, what the, here's their biggest mistake. 
They underestimated Paul's God. They said, there he goes, chained to a Roman soldier. <laughs> take that. Never hear from him again. Why take the effort and the time and the trouble to uh, contact Rome when this guy's never going to see the light of day? Ha, 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 ha. He's going to run away in some dungeon. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. No dungeon. No. No, no, no. A villa with an open window with Mediterranean breezes, maybe facing a garden or something like that, with friends all around, having conferences called Jesus in the Old Testament for anybody to come and learn about Jesus. Yes, yeah, sorry, folks. God made sure that nobody mentioned him. When you go to Rome, don't even say his name. He's not even worth talking about. Okay. So now, at least when they come the next time, which you're just about to see and we close the book, they're not prejudiced. They don't already, they haven't been biased and poisoned with the bitterness and lies and slander. Oh, yeah, nope. They have a clean slate. They listen now with an open heart. Verse 23. Okay, we all but finished the book now. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers, love it, to the place where he was staying. So he has a bigger house, of course. That's God. You know, you're going to need a bigger house. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God from morning to sunup to sundown and tried to convince them about Jesus from their Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the law of Moses and the prophets, everything else. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. You know what? The Holy Spirit really nailed it about you guys <laughs> when he said through Isaiah, and then he quotes Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, to them as they're leaving and disgruntled. Some of them, not all. Go to this people and say, you guys are going to always be hearing, but you're never going to hear. You're never going to get it. You will always be seeing, but you're never going to see. <laughs> For the, this people's heart have become callous, hard, thick. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. That's the problem. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes that I gave them, and they might hear with the ears God gave them and understand with their hearts that God gave them. And turn, the word is to repent. And I would heal them. The word in the Hebrew that Isaiah uses is to make whole or to save, you see. So let's talk about this. All of the book of Acts, all of the Old Testament, all of Jesus' teaching, all of the book of Revelation, all of the Bible can be summed up, really, with one sentence that you're looking at, verse 24. The truth is revealed. Some were convinced and are saved, but others refuse to believe. It's not that they don't believe. They actually do believe, but reject it and don't embrace it. They make a choice. They hear the truth, and they choose no. 
and they're lost. So two choices, truth is revealed. This is the entire Bible in one sentence. This is what it's all about. And this is why God the Father allowed Jesus to die the way he did. Nothing on that day is accident. Jesus dies in the middle of two thieves. One sinner on one side, one on the other. It represents the entire Bible and the entire purpose of why we're gathered here. Truth in the middle. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Both of them sinners. Both of them mocking in the beginning. One of them hears Jesus and has a revelation and says, remember me, Lord. I'm trusting in you. He turns and he's saved and gets promised paradise. The other one remains mocking and dies in his sins and forfeits the gift that could have been his. This is the story. Jesus summed it up this way. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son shall not see, does not have life, shall not see life. For the wrath of God remains on them. Why? Because they've got sins. They're not paid for. The wrath is removed and put on Jesus when you trust in Jesus. But if you don't, you have to pay. Right? So that's what's going on here. So seeing that they're all sitting there, religious men perishing and dying, he throws out a lifeline with no, no time to spare. 72 hours, they're seated, and out goes lifeline number one, uh, the um, law of Moses. So he's talking about brothers, Genesis 22, Abraham offering his only son. What are the odds that, that, that Jesus would die on the same hill? The same hill. 2,000 years after Genesis 22, Jesus the only son of the father is sacrificed on the same place. So he's pleading with them from the book of the, the, the law of Moses. He could go on and on. That's what he says. You know, the rock that followed them. You strike the rock when they struck Jesus from his side came living water the same way Moses hit the rock and, and it bled life-giving water, kept keeping them from dying of thirst while he keeps us from dying of our sins. And so Passover, yeah, I'm sure he argued about Passover and said, listen, Passover, we do it every year, guys, but guess what? The blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost, death came and passed over. But how is it possible that our Lord Jesus died on Passover He's the Passover lamb that if the blood gets applied to the door of your heart, death comes calling and it passes over. Brothers, you need the true Passover lamb. You need the true manna that came down. Jesus said, I'm the manna. I'm the bread that comes down. If you eat the bread, you'll live forever. Eat the bread. You see, so he argued with them. Then he went to the prophets. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Check. Psalm 22, his hands and feet would be pierced. Check. Isaiah 53, he would be a sin offering and the world's sins would be put on him and God would put him to death on our behalf. Check. He would rise from the dead. Psalm 16. There's even a shout out in the Old Testament to Judas in Psalm 41. 
Everything's there. So from morning to evening, he preached there and declared the kingdom. That it starts first within with God raising you to new life. And we live in a kingdom where we love God and we serve others. And we wait for the kingdom to be established when his reign and rule shall be visible. And the earth and everything in it will be filled with the glory of God. So he preached the kingdom of God uh, to them and reached out to them. And now when things were going south, some believed, as we always do. Here are some. And we all know the some that don't. And he explains why. He says, the sums that don't, don't want to turn to God. They love their sin more than they value their own souls. And so that they close their eyes. So having ears, he, he says, this is what he says. You'll be hearing, but never understanding. You have ears and eyes, but they aren't working. And tragically, when you need them most, when a train is barreling down on the tracks heading toward you, blowing its horn, and people are screaming and shouting on the sidelines, get off the track, a train is coming. You can't hear them, and you don't see them. You have eyes. You actually see it. You have ears. You actually, the words are going in, but the heart is, the word is fat. You have a layer of fat over your heart. Sorry, I just, I don't blame you. Got up and left. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, that that just crazy that it's about the heart like that. It's like, here's what he's saying. Bottom line is, if you end up in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth without end, it's on you. Because you shut your eyes that God gave you to see. You close your ears that God gave you to hear. And every time you ignore the truth, you risk that you will not recognize it the next time it comes around. So we got to be careful about that. So that's what he's talking about there. In a nutshell, <laughs> if you decide you don't want a Lord and you love your sin and you don't want to give up running your own life, you better be careful because you will see, but you will not be able to understand. So yeah, okay, the consolation prize, verse 28, we're almost done here, uh, is this, is parting words. It's like, fine, you guys have every advantage in the world. You don't want your own Messiah. You don't consider yourself worthy of eternal life. Then Guido and, and, and the rest of them are coming. And, and look, look at the world. When you get to heaven, you look around. 99.9999999 are the Guidos. Today, 99.9999999. Who loves the Jewish Messiah? Guido. Not Benjamin and Nathan and all the other Jewish names. Nope tiny bit that'll change at the end but still not a lot 5 million guidos go gentos, go to see the promised land every year while they're playing frisbee and having barbecues at the sea of Galilee never dreaming in a million years that their messiah 
God came down and manifested himself through a Jewish womb for them. No, we get it. It's amazing. The Bible says he came to his own. His own received him not, but to all those who did receive him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, born of his spirit. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, um, get on the train or the train will go on without you. Get in the chopper that has come for your rescue. It's going to drop right in front of you. Get in there and hang on or the chopper goes with anybody smart enough to hold on. But you will be left it's up to you. Let's close out with the last two verses. Here we go. Let's read them together. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented villa and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't like TV shows or movies that end without a real satisfying ending. And this one kind of does that. It kind of is like, what? What? What happened to Paul? Uh, Nero and the whole thing. And how does he die? And where do we go from Rome? Mm, this is what God wants exactly, he says, because the book of Acts and chapter 29 is being lived out today for 2,000 years. It's being lived out in your life and in my life today. It ends on an ING that Paul is preaching and teaching, and he's unhindered because the gospel is not chained. He may be chained, but the gospel is not chained. And this is how it ends on a triumphal note that God has got his gospel in under 30 years to Rome, to Nero, and it is going on to this day. And guess where it reached? It reached to you. It came from Paul and that villa and the letters he wrote in that villa. And it reached you. It reached even you. 2,000 years later, his work continues. I have four takeaways from my experience of the book of Acts. They're short. Just a couple sentences. Ready? One. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This book should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows that. If you don't have the Holy Spirit full and overflowing in you and in me, it's all a waste of time. You can't live the Christian life without it. If you want to please God and be an effective Christian, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's number one. That's my lesson. Be filled with the spirit. Two, expect trouble. Oh, my goodness. Jesus said this. Here's my verdict. He said, lights come into the world. Men prefer darkness over light. That, that's his verdict. So when we're shining light, we're going to get pushed back. Some of it's going to be painful, Right? Expect it. Anyone, quote, anybody who wants to live a godly life and do God's will in this world, anyone who does that will suffer 
persecution. Three, expect to be rescued every single time in God's way of rescuing. Because Paul will say at the end of his life to Timothy, the Lord has rescued me. He's rescued me today and has always rescued me. He will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to quote their second Timothy, his very last words that he writes. Just know that. Yeah, you're going to get some pushback, but guess what? God will rescue you. Every single time he will bring redemption. Finally, live for something greater than yourself. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, my life counts for nothing. Whether I live or die, comfort, whether I get my dreams, it just doesn't matter to me. There's something bigger than my puny life. There's a God, and he has a plan, and there's a world, and people are, are either going to heaven or not. And I've got something to say about that. I've got a part to help people escape the greatest tragedy that could ever befall them and bring them the greatest blessing that words can't even describe, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. That's more important than my life. I don't count my life as dear to me, but only this, that I can testify to the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the lessons from the book of Acts in this last chapter 28. Great insights for us, God. We just, there are morsels in a good sense of that phrase that just go down into our hearts and make us whole strong and renew our resolve to live for you, God. Thank you for this time in Acts. It's just like saying goodbye to a, a friend, God. But we look forward to the new friend next time, uh, the, the new uh, book that will remain anonymous right now. God, we just thank you for your love. Thank you for working all things out for good. And thank you for that guy, Paul. Thank you for the amazing way you used him. Let us imitate him as he imitated you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.